You're listening to Fertile Minds Radio, and I'm your host, Hilary Rowland. Fertile Minds Radio is your place to learn how to maximize your fertility as well as your partner's. We cover the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of a fertility journey. You'll find tools to help you feel empowered and confident as you move from infertility to pregnancy to parenthood. If you're looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to help you reclaim your wellness, to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Hi, my lovelies. How is everyone doing today? I hope you are well wherever you are. I am doing great. I love this time of year where I live. I know a lot of people hate winter, but winters in Florida are amazing. You should come down. I love being outside in that cool, breezy air and watching winter sunrises. The clouds are perfect. They're like cotton candy. They're filled with clouds and it just burns off by mid-morning. And then it's just like brilliant blue skies with no clouds. And it's pretty epic. So if that is not your situation or your reality, if you are freezing your bum off, you should come down to Florida. It's also why we pay the price of hurricane season is to have winners like this, right? Everything's 50-50, not just our thoughts, but our weather too. So take that to mind. All right, enough about that. Today, we're talking about something very, very important. It's something that I have observed for many years in my own life and in the lives of my clients. And I finally feel like I have the wording and the examples to properly explain what it is and how you can do something about it. For me, it is the key to enjoying the path of parenting, not just getting to a positive pregnancy test or even the birth of your baby, but it's the key to what allows you to go all the way through until they're grown and out of the house and really love as much of it as you can, right? Again, things are 50-50. I don't think we're ever 100% completely in love with all the things in our life. If you are, shoot me a message and tell me what you're doing. But I think that what we're going to talk about today, this concept is going to make a big difference in your life if you can apply it. And if you can notice when you're doing it, Um, and then take the steps that I offer you to counter it, it will instantly make your life 10 times more enjoyable, no matter how much you are currently suffering. So are you giving away your happiness today for something in your future? That is the crux of our episode. That's our topic. So if you have ever heard yourself say, or your partner say something similar to, I'll be happy when... And you can fill in anything here, right? So in the world of fertility, it might be, I get my period and then I can start this cycle or when we have money for IVF or when I save enough to quit my job or when my partner starts participating and going to doctor's appointments or household stuff or whatever it is. When our sex life can go back to normal, I'll be happy. Um, When I just get a diagnosis and I figure out what is going on so I can solve for it, then I'll be happy. Or when I get pregnant, then I'll be happy. Or when I go into labor, when I don't have to think about fertility anymore, (laughs) when the Bucks win the Super Bowl, when I get that promotion, when I lose that last 10 pounds. Okay. If you've ever heard yourself trading today for your future, this episode is totally for you. We're going to dive into fantasy fallacy. And we all do this at some point in our lives. To me, it kind of seems like the way that I bargain with spirit by saying, I won't be happy now until I get the thing. If you just give me this thing or show me how to do this thing, you know, then I'll be happy. But it's like, that's not what spirit wants. (laughs) Spirit wants us to be happy all the time, right? Like, 
It wants us to have, well, it doesn't want us to be happy all the time. It wants us to find happiness as in as many places as we can, right? Because we've taken this incarnation into a human body as a spirit. And can you juggle the humanness of the circumstances of living on earth and the elation that you still feel in your spirit when you recognize who you are, right? I see this a lot in my clients and myself as a recovering type A personality. I think that I really used this tactic against myself for years. You know, I used it as a way to explain why I was sacrificing and working so much and so hard um, because there was this illusion of a pinnacle or like this top of a self-imposed ladder that I was constantly climbing and that someday I would get to the top and then I would be the happiest of happies, right? I would be elated. And when I started looking at the why, I was always reaching for the next goal, completely unable to celebrate these like amazing achievements as I made them, something struck me. And it was the realization that I had was that it was all fantasy that I had constructed in order to keep overworking, (laughs) um, to keep setting huge, enormous goals, because the way in which I was approaching the work was completely unsustainable, right? It wasn't rewarding anymore. It was harsh. It was sacrificial. It was restricting. And it took away from other areas in my life where I could have had more of a balance, right? I could have had more overall happiness in some other areas of my life, had I given myself permission instead of overworking so much, I would have had much more life balance. And all I had to do was stop bargaining away my current life, basically, and give myself permission to be happy now, right here and now. So like anything else, when you have an aha moment in your in your life, right, your brain will do its job of looking for evidence as to why you are right. And it will filter for that thing. So um, I don't think it was just cognitive bias though, but when I had this aha moment, like I started to see it in so many of my clients and that they had some sort of fantasy fallacy tale that they were telling themselves about when they were allowed to be happy. And most of them were not even aware of it. And when I would ask them, like, why are you giving up happiness now? Or why were they choosing to only be happy when they got the thing? In many cases in my world, it's the baby, but it wasn't always just isolated to that. But when I would ask them this, they would like backtrack and say, oh, no, 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 I'm happy now. I just, it's like, I'll be complete or I'll feel successful when, or like, I just really want to achieve this goal. This is the last thing that I want to cross off my life list. (laughs) You know, and I would ask them, well, like, why can't you be complete now without these things, without a family and not to be an asshole, right? Like I wasn't trying to poke the bear at all. Like I'm never trying to make somebody feel bad on purpose. I did it because I love all my clients deeply. And if you're going through life thinking that you need something external to be happy, to be complete, to be fulfilled, where's the void inside of you, right? And and do you really, really think that someone or something external to you should be responsible or even capable of filling that void or that hole in you? And many of us do feel that way right? Because we are conditioned that way, especially in the US, that happiness comes from success, like graduating from college or graduate school or career achievements, or, you know, just kind of hitting those like goals of the American dream life, which is kind of laughable as I say that, because I feel like my life in a lot of ways is a dream, but 
and is not the original American dream. That's not my standards to what makes me happy. So my point to all this is that, of course, we apply rigid thinking to the goal of starting or growing a family because we were conditioned to just keep climbing for these these success things that would you know, give us success in the giant tribe of which we existed in the U.S., but then also our micro tribes of our family and work. So, you know, I also felt it necessary to start asking these hard questions because I noticed many of my newer moms from about two months to two years would inevitably come back to me and say something to the effect of, I got the baby, but I'm not nearly as happy as I thought I would be, or this is the hardest job ever. And maybe I'm not cut out for it um, because I should be happier than I am. And I'm not, or like you tried to tell me that this was going to be difficult and that it, I wasn't going to just arrive there and suddenly everything was going to be better, but I was suffering so much that I thought that my future had to be better. But because I didn't tend to the underlying problem, I took that suffering with me. And now I share it with my new child. And that's like heartbreaking to understand, right? So I think that that kind of drove me to talk about these hard things and to really encourage people to ask themselves hard questions about if you notice that your brain is putting a lot of responsibility on growing a family to make you happy, what can you do now to fill that void, to fill that hole so that you don't take that into the spirit of your future family? And, you know, it just, it happened so much that it really made me wonder how much the concept of fantasy fallacy could contribute to postpartum depression and anxiety if it wasn't dealt with before the child arrived. And I don't have an answer to that, but I I do wonder. And I think it would be fascinating to put women in a coaching program where we focused on clearing up all fantasy fallacy through their entire lives, not just the baby, but like around houses and your identity and your body and all of that, and then follow them into postpartum and see if they had any lower rates of depression or anxiety than the general maternal population. So I know that these questions are not easy to answer. I know some of you may have already turned this off actually, because it's threatening to the story that your ego uses to stay intact, to keep you over-restricting in your life, overworking, striving for perfection in your lifestyle. You know, But if you are still listening, just please know that you are my people. You are the people that I absolutely love to work with because when you attend to your arrival fallacies, yes, we usually have more than one of them, life becomes sweeter and you become innately more powerful right? You become the director of your life instead of letting your goals direct you. Then your goals become attainable faster with more ease and you can actually celebrate them. Like you're actually, they're worthy of achieving. Like you slow down enough, you become present enough to actually enjoy them when they happen because you aren't lost in the black hole of your own void. And you get to model this for your kids and help break the mold of societal conditioning. And to me, That is just everything. That is like, wow, you're already such a great parent, right? You're already leading by example of how to be present in your life and how to manage the 50-50 of life and how to not trade away this precious present moment that you have for an arrival fallacy. And funny enough, 
as it turns out, this thing that I was noticing was actually a newish coin term in psychology. And what I was naming fantasy fallacy was actually called arrival fallacy. The term arrival fallacy was coined by Tal Ben-Shahar, who has a PhD from Harvard University in organizational behavior of the brain. Ben-Shahar is the author and is well known for teaching lectures on happiness at Columbia University as well. So according to Ben-Shahar, he defines the arrival fallacy as a popular illusion that achieving a certain goal will lead to happiness. He mentions that the arrival fallacy has been experienced by celebrities and other highly successful people who end up experiencing mental illness and substance abuse even after achieving their dreams. So a mainstream example of this was the interview that Aaron Rodgers did after winning the Super Bowl. And you would think that having overcome years of setbacks and doubters and um, even booze from his own fans that like after winning the Super Bowl in 2011 with Green Bay, that it would have been like the pinnacle for him, that it would have been like he had arrived, right? Like no feeling like it. But when he was interviewed, he reported that what he felt wasn't gratification or satisfaction or anything else that we typically associate with achievement. It was a void, a realization that he was still looking for something quote unquote, beyond his current line of sight. So to me, that's like saying, I'm still looking for something externally to fill me up. I'm still looking for some accolade, some person, some relationship to fulfill me. Man, that is the tale, right? Like that, that is the biggest clue. Like everything you need to fulfill yourself is available to you inside of you. You already have that. Like that is the gift of the pivot of being a spirit in a human body. It's all there for you. You just have to go diving inwards to look for it. And I don't think it's a surprise that most of us don't know how to do that because of how powerful it makes you. So if we all knew how to be internally resourceful and not depend on anything externally, man, we could fucking do anything we put our minds to. And I think for a lot of powers that be, that's scary which is also what makes it more enticing for me to tell as many people as I can about it. This idea of that I should feel happier, I thought I would feel different, or I'm looking for something else still outside of me, like when the baby smiles, then I'll be happy. This is the exact same thing that we are talking about in Aaron Rodgers. I see it in my mom's. Another expert on the subject, Brent McDonald, who's a psychologist and associate professor at the Workland School of Education, and Calgary says that arrival fallacy is basically the repackaging of motivation. So remember what I said before about like, it was that thing that kept me overworking, overreaching, overextending myself externally. He also says that when people set goals for themselves and achieve them, they can be left with this kind of void. They've got them and then they're still not happy. And while they might experience brief contentment, it doesn't last. And so then they feel depressed and looked for another objective. So that next rung on the ladder to climb, so to speak. Alternatively, they may never achieve the goal and blame their failure for their unhappiness, right? So rather than just saying like, I am innately unhappy with my life, they put it on the circumstance of I didn't do this thing instead of understanding that it's really just your thought about that coloring how you feel. He goes on to say that arrival fallacy comes into play when we set up goals for ourselves that are kind of unrealistic. For example, 
Many of us have had unrealistic expectations of how the COVID vaccine would change our lives and everything would return to pre-COVID functioning, but that didn't really happen, right? Like we were already morphed and changed. And it's not unrealistic to say when I get pregnant or when I become a parent, right? That's not the unrealistic part of the goal. It's unrealistic to think that all of your life will get better when the child comes. And if you think about it, like I said earlier, that's a lot of pressure to put on a baby or a child. My suffering will go away when you arrive. It sounds really sweet. And like, especially when you know the intention behind it is wrapped up and how much you want this child and how much you already love them, even though they're not created yet. But really what you're implying is that you aren't capable of tending to your own suffering and you need someone or something external to make this go away. I know that that is like so much. My intention is not to put you down in the dumps. My intention is to shine a light so that you can kind of clear away that film if that's what's covering your lens, right? So if you're resonating with any of this, here are my steps to overcoming arrival fallacy or fantasy fallacy, whatever you want to call it. Notice when you are thinking, I'll be happy when. Filter for it, right? Be on the lookout in your brain, be on to yourself and immediately take stock of what you are happy or grateful for in the present moment, right? So a lot of times people talk about gratitude practice and how important that is. And it is, right? But it's it's not just thinking about it. It's like feeling it and feeling it for not just the big things, but the mundane. Because when you can feel it for the mundane things, the big things become so much sweeter. They become so big that like you can't help but stop and celebrate them and be present. And that gratefulness of the mundane is when you have the ability to do that, you are present. You, you have to be present in order to do that. And if you find it hard to be present and you keep drifting into your future fantasy, right? Like you're, it's different than like envisioning the future you want. We're talking about like envisioning the way that you'll feel when you get the thing versus like say an intentional model where we know what it is that we want and we know how we want to feel. We think we're feel when we get there. And then we know the thoughts that would make us feel that way now, right? And we bring that back into our present life. It's a little bit of a difference. And we're talking about the future, but the way that you can do that without completely living in this fantasy of a future is to be real with yourself about where you are now in your unintentional model, right? Like what are the thoughts that are currently playing about your present situation um, and when you can consolidate the two of those and you can reconcile them, then you're in more of this achieving, like you can achieve your goals versus trying to numb out or basically overwork or be a perfectionist and everything that you do is a way to buffer for anything else coming into your life. It's like the exact opposite of reconciling where you want to go and where you are and how you're currently feeling in this present moment. Right. And if you um, do find it hard to cultivate a mindfulness practice, you know, I suggest starting small, start with five minutes a day, you know, five minutes to 20 minutes of meditation in the morning can do wonders for you to learn how to direct your brain back to the present moment in your waking life. You know, the meditation is the actual exercise that you do in order to be present. In fact, a 2021 study found that people who practice mindfulness experience a greater sense of purpose in life and increased engagement in activities that bring them happiness. It was basically like 
engagement in the mundane. And additionally, another study in 2016 found that people who practice meditation experience greater levels of self-compassion and happiness. So the ability to be compassionate with yourself, I find that it's a direct result of how much I'm meditating. Because when I say I'm sitting and I'm meditating with a mantra and every time my mind drifts away from that mantra, that moment of awareness, when I have this choice to redirect my mind to listening to the mantra, the way in which I go about that, how I talk to myself, that is the exercise of self-compassion, right? And in the beginning, it wasn't always that way. In the beginning, it was all the like recordings of my brain, basically of being hard on myself and you can't do anything right. And God, you can't even sit here and just repeat this thing, right? Like just the asshole part of my brain has totally been, you know, reconstructed into like, oh, how human of me or, you know, treating myself like I would treat a child with this loving, compassionate redirection, right? So if like I was walking through a store with my niece and she started to reach for something on the shelf, like I wouldn't slap her hand away and be like, God, what are you doing? I was like, no, no, baby, come here. You know, I would lovingly with intention grab her. And that's the same way that I want to grab my intention when I'm drifting in my meditation and I come back, right? So that is how you actually build your own self-compassion through a meditation practice, right? The other step to overcoming your arrival fallacies is to practice non-attachment to the outcome and to focus on how to make each day of the journey more pleasurable, right? Not buffering and numbing, but like pleasure, like the way that the grass feels under your feet when you walk outside barefoot or the way your partner's skin feels next to you or the the way that your cup of coffee smells in the morning and just how grateful you are to to be able to sit and enjoy that if you have an extra five or 10 minutes to start your day, right? Those little things where we can create pleasure so that our muscle to experience pleasure gets like stronger and stronger so that we can stay in the present moment and we're not delaying out to our future. The other step is to notice how you celebrate your wins in life, big and small, in every area of your life, right? So if there is a deficit there, make it a point to retrain your brain to celebrate the smallest wins and to say them out loud to somebody and to somebody that gets it, right? And to even, and if you don't have anybody that you feel like gets it or want to understand, then just to journal it, to bring it through your conscious body onto paper and to be able to see it and recognize yourself for it. There's something really, really powerful about that. My other step is to be realistic about your goals. Um, Notice that is the be happy, I'll be happy when statement giving all of your power away, right? Redefine what success on your fertility journey feels like for you outside of falling pregnant. You know, maybe it's using all the suffering that you've experienced is a path to growth. Maybe it's growing closer to your partner. Maybe it's deepening your self-concept and trust in your word to yourself, cultivating more self-compassion. You know, maybe it's something simple like regulating your cycle once and for all and really, you know, understanding how your body works because up until now, no one told you, right? So whatever it is that you want to get out of this part of your journey besides the child, you know, I think that being realistic about celebrating the extra added value that we weren't expecting when we go after a goal 
can make it just amazing to celebrate. And lastly, concentrate on your relationship to yourself and to others. The number one indicator of happiness, according to Ben Shahar, is the depth of our relationship to others. And I know many of you isolate in your fertility journey because it doesn't feel safe with some people or because you are triggered by their pregnancy announcements or their kids or well-meaning um, but invasive questions from family members, right? So we think if I don't have the resources to deal with that, I'm just going to pull away and I'm going to isolate. And instead of isolation, I would offer you that the task of learning how to set better boundaries in those relationships so that you can enjoy them in a deep way or cultivating other relationships and community with others who are doing something similar as you, whether that's on the fertility journey or they're doing internal work and trying to build up their inner resourcefulness and their inner strength in spite of their circumstance and what they're suffering through. You know, people that just innately get you, that will help you to be happier in your present life, right? It will help you to endure however long it takes to get there. So just to recap those really quick, notice your brain and your thoughts. And when you notice something like, I'll be happy when, figure out a mindfulness practice that works for you. Start small, five minutes a day. Practice non-attachment to the outcome and how you will make each day a little bit more pleasurable through the small things. Celebrate your wins, big and small, especially the small. Notice where you're giving away your power and be realistic about the goals and what the extra value of the strife actually is. And lastly, concentrate on your relationship to yourself and others. So if you want to fine tune what your definition of success on your path to parenthood feels like, not looks like, but feels like, then I highly encourage you to get on my email list. I always announce special pricing, added insights, and occasional love letters for me to perk up your day. So if you aren't on my email list, definitely go over to FertileMindsRadio.com and get on there because you are missing out. It's one more way for us to connect and for you to feel seen and heard. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's content and found it useful. This podcast is a labor of love from an entire team of people. We would love it if you shared the wisdom that you just banked or left a review on iTunes. Reviews help women just like you across the globe find this valuable information when it's their turn to conceive. We would consider it the ultimate compliment. Bye for now.